Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TWS podcast. It's lights out and away we go. I got free sausages sent to me every week for a year. Brilliant. <laughs> no, I never really got uh, I never really got to a place where I could call Michael a friend of mine, really. Don't worry, guys, I'm back. Panic's over. I'm here. And it was Wayne Rooney who walked through the doors. And I remember him saying, just make the most of every moment. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives, talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Technowiz School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills, whilst interviewing topsmen and women from a, from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a Formula One World Champion. Welcome to the podcast, Damon Hill. Damon? Damon. Damon. Damon Hill. Sorry. Damon, you got it. That's it. I'm just clarifying. For you us. clarified that perfectly. We like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. You ready? Okie doke. Go ahead. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? In my phone book, uh, let me think. I think the most famous person is, um, yeah, there's probably people you've not heard of, actually. You know, I mean, that's they can't be famous then, can they? But um, uh, I think probably, um, yeah, I mean, most of the people (laughs) know that kind of people are not as famous as they used to be. A long time ago i think the pe- famous people of today uh i don't really know them as well so i don't have lewis hamilton's phone number put it that way so uh, <laughs> but um i have uh i used to have people like um uh you know the famous drivers of the past i could speak to uh, people like nicolaud alan prost and people like that so if you could trade lives with anyone for one day and one day only, who would it be and why? Trade lives. Well, that's it. That's always a big tricky thing, isn't it? Because you don't really know what you're letting yourself in for. There's, there's a lot of people who think that the whole, um, the whole thing is to be happy with who you are and where you are. And if you start wishing you were somebody else, then um, first of all, you can't be dumb. Um, but if we're playing that game, let me think. Who would I like to be? Um, hmm, I don't know. I think um, I think someone who's got extraordinary skills at something. You know, I mean, someone. I mean, maybe it'd be someone who could really play guitar much better than I can. <laughs> someone like that. <laughs> someone like that. The only thing so, I know about guitars is how to accidentally break them. <laughs> oh, so how did you manage to do that? Um. 
Well, it was a toy guitar when I was a kid, and let's just say I had a temper. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, welcome to the club. I have a guitar that I actually, when I was very young, I got very cross one day, and I came back. The one thing I really loved with my guitar, and I kicked it, and my foot went right through, and so it had a hole in it, and I was uh, I was really mortified that I damaged my lovely guitar. So it taught me a lesson: don't lose your temper. Don't kick guitar. Don't you shouldn't kick instruments <laughs> oh no you can kick, shouldn't kick anything well you probably should have a thing you can kick if you get cross maybe something like a cushion or something like that or a football that or a football, football. yeah <laughs> football. all right if you could have one superpower what would it be and why superpower it has to be flying doesn't it i mean to be able to fly would be just, oh, the, just the most amazing yeah i think that's probably the one thing that that I can think of anyway. I don't think I'd want to be um, turn myself into uh, Elasto Man or something like that. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the benefit of that is. Flying because it's always a risk you can't turn yourself off and you're like a rubber band on the floor. <laughs> yeah, what if you can't come back from that? Yeah, that'd be awful. You can always land if you're flying. Mm -hmm. Thank you for answering those questions. Let's talk about your career. What, we want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories? What are what, what was your childhood like? And what is your earliest memory of sport? Um, so my earliest memory of sport would probably be through my dad, who was a racing driver. So I used to go to race events and uh, I'd watch. But we didn't have television coverage in those days. It's unbelievable to think of it now. But you couldn't see, I couldn't really see what he did. I saw photographs by, and I could see him drive past at very high speed, but, but I couldn't actually follow the race until later on when they had uh, television coverage. So, um, and then it was the normal things like football. Um, and I, I love, I got taken skiing when I was quite young and I love that. So it's a bit like the flying question, you know, when you're skiing, you have this feeling of falling at least in some sort of semi-controlled way, which I, I really enjoyed. So all the sports that I've taken up, I would say I describe it that I'm the projectile. I'm, I'm, it's not a, a, a game with a football or, you know, no, there's no balls involved in, in the sports that I'm any good at. It's usually me flying through space, either surfing or skiing or, um, or driving a racing car. So, so my early recollection of sport was, was motor racing, I think. As a teenager, you were in a punk band? according to this question with your friends and then years later you appeared playing guitar for the rock band death leopard wait if they're so, deaf they can't hear anything that's a good point How yeah. can that, that is a bad name choice for a band it's weird isn't it actually and also why the leopard um and maybe there's an explanation. I don't understand what it is. But anyway, they're called that. And they were just some people I met in Ireland. I lived in Ireland and there was lots of artists in Ireland. And one of the people I met at a party said, he, he chatted to me. And I said, I play guitar. He said, oh, we're recording an album. And, you know, you, you can play, you should play on it on the R album. And I said, are you serious? And they said, yes. So I said, okay, I'll take you up. So I turned up and I played a little bit on one of their songs. And it was one of the albums that went platinum. So I, I've got credit on a platinum selling <laughs> album for playing guitar. But um, so, yeah, childhood ambition of being able to be a musician, I think, uh, but it's never really been fulfilled. So your your first love was, was motorbikes. 
um, before cars. So how did that come back with, with motorbikes? What got you interested in them? Well, it happened purely by chance. Um, I mean, I used to have a bicycle, so I, I kind of used to like riding off with my friends. We lived in North London and we used to go off on trips together and, um, you know, pe pedaling a bicycle. I used to like that, riding around the bicycle. And then these friends, people I met at Silverstone at the, at the race meeting once, and I was a bit bored and they were out the back with a motorbike, a, t a small motorbike, and they said, do you want to have a go? So I said, yeah. So I got on the bicycle, bike, you know, and I, and I turned the twist grip. And off it went. I didn't have to pedal. And I just thought, this is fantastic. You know, you don't have to pedal. And so from that moment onwards, my a light bulb had gone off in my head somewhere. And that's what made me want to go motorbiking. Well, I personally never had a bike. No. no not, not, not even a bicycle? Nope. Yeah, I, okay. I don't know. No. I would need training wheels, which is embarrassing for a 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe for a bit, but then maybe I can you can handle take a three-wheeled bike just fine, mostly because yeah. I don't have to worry about it toppling over because it's like a yeah. triangle. And yeah, yeah, that's state. It's got a stable base. Mm -hmm. Your dad, Graham. Graham Hill, was an F1 champion. Oh, I see a bit of family thing going on there. Well spotted, yeah. Did you feel any pressure growing up when you, and when you moved into car racing, did you feel any pressure to, to succeed because of who your dad was? Um, I didn't really want to race cars. As we discussed, I wanted to compete on motorbikes, but so I thought that was my thing. But then eventually I switched over to cars. And when I did make that change, I think people were thinking, oh, well, he's trying to, you know, inevitably people, ask the question well his dad was good what's he going to be like you know and typically the child is the young the offspring is not as successful for some reason i don't know i mean not always but but it's more difficult and my dad had a fantastic record in in, in motorsport which one which i i never even tried to to tackle but i just i just went into it thinking i'll do as well as i can that's what i'll do and i didn't really care what people thought frankly yeah you know, that's i have noticed that people kind of look at the child of someone who's extremely good at something and pin the yeah kind of compare the two but yeah they're no more of their parents than you are of your father you're yeah. not him no i'm not him but we come we come from similar uh, i'm definitely you know he was an influence on me so he, the way he went about his life and the way he did things, I think clearly gave me some sort of um, lessons that I followed. Like, you know, he was very determined. Um, he, was, he was very um, uh, doggedly determined and quite intense. When he, when he was doing something, he'd do it 100%. So I think that sort of, those sort of things, I'm not sure whether you just naturally get given them because of your, your genes through your parents or whether you learn them or not, or whether you just are trying to be like your dad but um there's you can't escape the fact that they're an influence but like you say that you are not them you have to be you have to be true to yourself yeah parents do the group build the foundation how you how your how your life builds up from there is up to you i just yeah. made a building reference <laughs> very good makes sense huh? yeah. oh i'm sorry if I, this is a sensitive topic your dad passed away when you were 15 mm. 
as a teenager, it can be very difficult to lose a parent. I personally never want to go through that. Looking back, how did you cope with that situation? Well, you're right. It's uh, it's a big thing when you're young, when you're you know to to lose your parents. Uh, it's a big thing any time, but but particularly when you're young and growing up, and it wasn't expected. So that left a big hole and and got made me think a lot harder. I think about what life was all about, um, and maybe gave me a little bit of a an outlook on life, which was different to perhaps my you know my peer group um people my friends and everything who seem to be carrying on their lives you know and enjoying things and i and i think i felt a little bit like well i had life has a little bit of a su- nasty surprise waiting for you somewhere um and so i had to kind of learn to um learn to you know adapt really um in some ways it was it was um it was liberating in some ways because you you know you don't have your parents. Well, one of my parents wasn't there to tell me what to do. You know, so if I wanted to race bikes, I didn't have to go and ask my dad what he would think about it. I just had to just think for myself. So one of the benefits, I think, was I I, I learned independence and to to think for myself because I had to. But I didn't. On the other hand, I couldn't ask someone for advice, and that was a big loss. In the 70s, I imagine there wasn't much support for a child to cope and understand grief. Did it have an impact on your mental health and what support was available for you and your family? So uh, I would say you're absolutely right. It was it was there, but it was much less available than it is now. People are much more open to the idea of having some sort of counselling, grief counselling and, and help for young people who had trauma in their lives. So at that time, back in 1975, it was very, very rare. I, I mean, it, even it, I wouldn't even know if it existed at all, but um, but latterly it's got better, which is a good thing. And I, I'd urge anybody who's had a um, young person who's uh, lost a parent or, um, or a friend or, or you know, heaven forbid, a brother or sister, you know, they, there are people who you can talk to who and it's really important to talk about our feelings and how we feel um and then we learn to articulate those feelings and we can understand ourselves better and so keeping keeping it bottled up and not talking is not not a good solution but in my case that's sort of what happened because there wasn't someone to talk to when i was younger so i had to talk to someone when i was a bit older (laughs) <laughs> and talk about it then but it was you know it was a long time not talking about something which needed talking about and in terms of moving to to motor racing motor and cars that happened quite late in your career in terms of a sporting career why did that move happen from bikes to cars and how did that come about yeah so um i was offered someone said why doesn't he have a go in cars because his dad was racing and i, I was thinking well um okay i'll try i'll try it you know i'll see i mean you got valentino rossi's having a go at le mans this this time this year so he's he's gone from a bike career to car career i think the mere fact that you it's much harder to fall off and hurt yourself in a car i mean it's, it's you can still yeah. get hurt but you could say that again <laughs> yeah you can say that again exactly. I, so, me and my yeah. sister used to hurt ourselves on a scooter <laughs> 
We were yeah, very clumsy, is. especially Cassie. She never came home with. She always came home with fresh injuries. <laughs> so you got you. You basically got the idea. That's so. That was it. Partly in my thinking was, you know. Well, I looked at all the other motorcycle races and they'd all got broken bones and stuff. And I just thought, maybe you're a bit more protected in a car. Um, I'll give it a go. And an opportunity came up. And, I, and once I, in, I I felt I could enjoy it and I wanted to do it, it was back to competing again. So it's, yeah, yeah the competition, I think, is important. It doesn't matter what it is in some ways. There are th- yeah, as I know, there are three things you need to worry about in a car. The car blowing up. <laughs> yeah. You crashing? Mm. Someone crashing into you? Yeah. You make it you, summed, you, you summed it up. You summed up <laughs> all three areas of concern. Yeah, that is that is a problem. I mean, so you you don't want to crash, and you don't want to. I mean, you can't really control what other people do, um, but you have to learn to avoid accidents. You can you can try and put yourself in a position where you're not going to be hit, but it, everybody gets in a crash when they race. So it doesn't matter what who they are. Eventually, they have some, you know, incident that will be quite alarming. But the cars are much much safer than they used to be. They're made of very very strong carbon fiber, and they're very yeah, well thought out. Yeah, just do your best to avoid the first one. Kaboom! Wear a seatbelt. I don't think yeah. wearing a seatbelt would do you much good. <laughs> if the car blows up. No, you probably want to undo your seatbelts if that happens. And run. <laughs> He made it into Formula One at the age of 31. Is Formula One 31? I'm sorry. <laughs> that is quite late to sport in to sporting terms because apparently yeah. in your 30s is old. <laughs> to in sport. Yeah. Did yeah. you get well, Cal, I have two things to ask. One is a personal thing, the other is part of the question. <laughs> The first thing is, how did you finally move into Formula One? And the second is the personal funny bit. Has any of your fellow racers called you old, called you old man during that time? Yeah, I was very conscious that I was older than the other guys. And eventually I got to about 39 um, towards the end of my career. And I looked around and there was these guys who were 20. And I, I thought, you know, I thought I wouldn't go to a party with uh, people who are 20 years younger than me. So, um, you know, it, uh, there was an element of, uh, I knew I knew that I was a late starter, so I had to crack on really when I got into Formula One. I didn't have much time to lose, but I, you know, I, I most of my 20s, I've been learning the ropes. I didn't do karting like a lot of these guys did. They started off when they were very young in go-karts, um, you know, but before they were 10 years old. So they were, they already had 10 years, 15 years experience on me. So, um but you can't plan these things. You know, I got an opportunity late in life and so I took it and I was always conscious that my time was limited. But did anyone ever call you old? Um, I think I think Michael Schumacher called me granddad once. Oh, and how old is yeah. he? Well, he was about 25 at the time, I think, 20, yeah, around then. Yeah, and I was about 35. But, so... During our research, from your first season F1, was it quite mixed? Is it right that the team you were racing for collapsed and didn't finish the season? Um, quite a few of them did that. Yeah. Um, it was how Brabham. Was your, how was your first yeah. year? What are your memories of the first year? So basically, you grab whatever you can. If, you, if, you're, if you're a struggling 
driver and you want to show what you can do stuff you you get opportunities and you don't look twice to see whether or not they're you know no one's going to offer you the plum drive in formula one with no experience so you have to get some experience and if that means you drive for a team that are struggling and don't have any money then so be it you just have to show that you're capable of dealing with it and um and can deliver something extra um which i think i did so and that led eventually led to me getting the, the plum drive I, w- I really needed to get and it, with Williams, Williams Renault. And I was a bit of luck in being in the right place at the right time. And then uh, I was in the right place at the right time to become world champion as well. So um, you're not in it. You know, you've got to be in it to win it, as they say. Definitely. And then your first um, win came in Hungary in 1993. So what are your memories yeah. of that race and, and, and to be first on that podium? Yeah, it was a big breakthrough. And you know, there are people who spend their entire careers and never win a race. And so I was very mindful of the fact that I'd, I'd managed to cross over a, um, you know, one of these important thresholds to be a Grand Prix winner is one thing. So the next thing is to be a world champion. So that was a, a step in the right direction. Uh, another potential source, but I always get uncomfortable with these questions. In Come on, don't worry. Before your teammate. Anton Art and Senna. Anton yeah. Senna sadly died during a race. Mm. What a tragedy. Yeah. What are your memories of that? And as his teammate, that must have brought back some bad memories from when you were a teenager. Yeah. Well, I mean, any anything that is that serious uh, is traumatic, and and it should be. You know, it's it's, it's something wrong if it's not traumatic. So. Yeah, we were all very badly shaken up by what happened with Ayrton. And there was another uh, young man as well called Roland Ratzenberger who was killed as well in the same race meeting. So we lost two friends in that weekend. And um, But one of the things that you have to understand about our sport is it does involve risk. There's, 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 um, um, there's well, it, it's risk and it's, and it's also um, involves um potential of of injury and worse so once you accept that then that is part of it then you you, you've got your eyes open and you you can't complain really if if something goes wrong but um you're not going to stop people doing risky things that's what humans do they like to look for excitement they like to look for they like to test themselves and prove what they can and can't do and it doesn't matter whether it's learning to ride a bicycle or or racing cars people want to put themselves to the test and so you know both those drivers loved what they were doing and were very good at what they were doing and it's just it's very very unfair it seems that, that they they lost their lives but um um they did know what they were doing you know they did know there was a chance it wasn't like they car, were I, unaware. I take it it was a car crash yeah yeah both of them were yeah Let's try and lighten the mood, shall we? Otherwise, we're all going to be crying and it won't be very fun. And my dad will wonder, why the hell? What the hell? <laughs> you had a big rivalry with Michael. <laughs> what? What's with all these drivers and the weird last names? Schumacher. <laughs> Schumacher. <laughs> you said that he crashed into you on purpose in Australia in 19. 19- 94, which cost you the chance to win the world chat title. 
What are your memories of that of racing against him? And you t did you two get on well? I, I, I assume that since you accused him of crashing into you on purpose, <laughs> not very, not very much. Um, no, I never really got into. I never really got to a place where I could call Michael a friend of mine, really. Um, but we raced against each other. But he was a very tough competitor, and uh, he was uh, uncompromising. Is a is a euphemism, really? Um, you know, he was he he'd really make sure he would. He, you know, came out best in any tussle. So he was the benchmark. He was like, he was the person everyone wanted to beat. So you know, you, you, no one's going to just let you overtake or win races. You know, if you got someone like that around, then they are um, they're going to be the tough nut to crack. So um, we we tried, but um, we had to wait till he had a bad car before we could beat him. <laughs> In 1996, two years later, doubt he appreciated this, you won the F1 world title. Can you take us back to your memories of that season? What was it like to win the world title? So um, I nearly won with the race, the, the season when I crashed with Michael. So I got very close. So I got used to the idea of being at the front and, and potentially winning the championship. So I knew that it's a very long um, campaign. It starts in March and it ends in November. And there's a long time and a lot of pressure during a season. And you have to keep your powder dry. You know that expression? So, you know, you have uh, to- Powder? Yeah, so they used to, to use gunpowder in guns. And if they got, if the gunpowder got wet, then it wouldn't work. So the expression is keeping your powder dry means not showing what everything you've got just you know, just yet, not all, you don't want to go off in one, one big bang. You've got to kind of pace yourself over the season. And because you're going to need everything you've got at some point or other, you're going to need everything you've got. So it was a season, it was a season long campaign, which I knew I had a chance of winning the championship. And it was like playing a very long game of cards, really, um, against my teammate who was, um, who was also could also win the championship. So eventually it turned out in my favour. But um, I think experience helped me because he'd not done a season of Formula One before. So um, he, he was very quick, but... Um, not quick enough? Not quick enough. <laughs> <laughs> Although I wouldn't have said that to his face. <laughs> well, we've, well, we've said it somewhere it can never be gotten rid of. <laughs> He was actually, you know, the thing is, he was quick enough. He just sometimes was, was um, I think I probably more out-experienced him in that season, I think, to win. And then after becoming world champion, Williams, the team you voted for, didn't keep you on or you, you, you left Williams for whatever reason. Yeah. And to, I know maybe a fan, that seems quite a strange decision for Williams to let a world champion go, but they let a few world champions go, didn't they? Or let a few top drivers go. Yeah. So why yeah. did that happen and what was your experience of it? Well, I, I don't know. I didn't get involved in, in the negotiations. I had someone doing that for me. And um, I'm, I still to this day don't know quite what happened, but um, apparently... Was the person doing the negotiations for you? What the heck happened? Yeah, good That's question. Weird. Yeah. Um, but... I think when we look back at what happened, I think I didn't have a very good season the year before. And I think probably the team thought we need to make plans for uh, the following year. So 
everything's done a year in advance in in our sport or maybe sometimes five years in advance but anyway um so they probably made arrangements to have a driver and they couldn't keep me on because they already had two drivers for the following season which would have been 1997 so there was nothing for me to drive really um and uh it it meant i had to go and find whatever what was left but i've got a world championship while i was there so i wasn't too unhappy <laughs> i would like to have, i'd like to have had two but you never know i, I you know it might not have happened <laughs> what we've been in touch with some of your sky sports colleagues no oh, yeah yeah i thought this much <laughs> firstly simon lensby who has told us a few things about you. Uh-huh. You ready? <laughs> yeah, come on. Simon said that your nickname is Space Badger? Question mark, question that's, mark. That's his nickname for me. Can you <laughs> yeah. explain why they call you that? No, there's no explanation at all. There's no <laughs> absolute, it's, it's Simon's bizarre um, sort of amazingly, uh, um what's the word um he's got an incredible imagination what's that creative yes he's got a very creative (laughs) mind and uh he's sort of surrealist i would say uh so he's got a kind of strange a very amusing take on things but uh, that's that's what he called me a long time ago and i can't remember why Did you wear a badger costume and not realise it? I think it's something, it's something to do with having white hair, I think. You know, a badger's got like a white streak or something. Anyway, uh, who knows? You'll have to ask Simon again. <laughs> you are a very keen golfer and have recently played in a celebrity golf tournament in Jersey. How hmm. is the golf game these days? So it could have been better yesterday, but uh, it was. It's. I enjoy going. I'm, I like being outside. You know, I, I really, I get claustrophobia if I have to stay indoors too much. So I like to go outside. Golf is a great game to be outside and cycling and anything outside. Simon's company, Silver Entertainment, is making a film about your life and your dad's life. Are you excited mm. to film? Are you excited to film that? And how do you want the film to look? Um... Well, that's, that's not down to me. I think I'm I'm just a subject in the, in the film. So if well, I was making a film, doesn't the yeah. subject te- technically have the right to tell say, uh, excuse me? Yeah. What well, maybe you maybe you should be my agent. I, I think Alyssa would be a great agent. You're very bossy, aren't you? Definitely very. Yeah. She's she's also very quickly picks up on the important <laughs> um, the important parts of the. You're absolutely right. Why am I not saying what the film's about? Um, but it's about your it's, life. Yeah, but if you if you descri- if you describe yourself, and you're just the only person describing yourself, you you tend to paint a rosy picture, or you paint a very negative picture, because we tend we tend to either go one way or the other. That we we either don't like to blow our own trumpet, or we we do like to blow our own trumpet. So, in some ways, it's almost more interesting from my point of view. I would prefer to know what other people make of me. Because that's and more if, informative. And if Simon makes you look like an idiot. <laughs> well, I would be very upset. <laughs> I wouldn't be too happy. No, but I don't think he's going to do that. We do we have we we've spoken to him once before, haven't we? We spoke to Simon a few weeks ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. You probably make sure he's a planet maker. I guess that him look like an idiot. <laughs> I'm, yeah. sure I'm sure he won't. If he does, no, he... does if he does, I'm pretty sure we'll all be hunting him down like a pack of wolves for that. <laughs> well, I'll let you know that. Mm-hmm. One <laughs> one might... one guess making another guess look make, making another guess look bad is no, a no no. Yeah. <laughs> Although we do like it when yeah. when the other way, the others like when they like to tease one another. Yeah. The tease is good. So the last question from Simon. Mm-hmm. Apparently you and Johnny Herbert. Johnny Herbert. Herbert. I'm sorry, these last names are killing me. Are a great double act. Is that what he thinks? Is that what Simon thinks? Apparently. <laughs> yeah, he thought it's very funny because one of the very first things we did was we went round Monza, which is a racetrack in Italy, on a scooter together. <laughs> and he thought it was like the film Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and so was the dumber <laughs> well it doesn't matter one's dumb one's dumber so uh, he just thought he um, it tickled him but as i said he's got this um he's got this right uh take on things um and admittedly rides good as along a racetrack <laughs> but i love working with johnny because he's he's fun he's um and so we we get on well together but uh, we had some fun doing some stuff with sky but once we went to a place where we where you could smash up old um, computers and and TVs, it's a place in Singapore. And you, you know where you were talking about if you're angry, you should have something you can kick. Well, they have this sort of therapy studio place where people can go and vent their anger by smashing things up, and you can break plates and everything. So we went we went there and filmed it, and uh, it, I'm, I'm still to this day not sure why we did that. But anyway, it was something to do with the, the Singapore Grand Prix. Okay. <laughs> um, we're obviously we're going to jump a little bit uh, in your career, mm-hmm. and after a year with Arrows, you moved on to race for Jordan. So, mm-hmm. how did them? It's a very broad question, but how did them kind of two, three years riding for two different racing for two different companies? How did they? How did you find that time? Yeah, well, it was. It was. I was basically resigning myself to the fact that I probably wasn't going to get a, a shot at a championship um, again. Um, I did try to go to um, McLaren uh, after I left Williams. I, I was driving for <clears throat> for Arrows for 97, and, but I was plotting to try and get to drive for McLaren because I knew they'd have a good car in 98 and 99, which is they did, and they won the championships. Um, but um, I uh, that, that, was, that plan didn't come off, so I ended up driving with Jordan. So, But I won their first race at Spa, so... There's still there was still the potential there to win and they went on to fight for the championship in 1999 so they, they they made big progress with um in the time that i was there and um i i still you know i quite i can pride myself on the fact that i was i went from williams to another team which hadn't was regarded as having no hope but i nearly won the the hungarian grand prix there and i won the first Grand Prix for Jordan in Spa. So, you know, I was still a competitive driver, um, but I was, get, as we talked about before, I um, was getting a bit old there, um, Elise. So I, I you know, I, I was quite keen to, to hang up my helmet eventually. So 99, I was a bit sort of half in, half out, which you can't be in Formula One. Speaking of hanging up your helmet, <laughs> mm. How did you you find retirement from F one? You spent a lot of your life in a in high in a high intensity sport, pushing yourself to the limit and the adrenaline pumping every week. 
when you retire, how do you find not having that intensity in your life? So again, I was quite conscious that a lot of drivers struggle when they stop. Um, they either go into something equally crazy um, and all-consuming, or they um, they try and look for some other way to get their adrenaline fix, and they do something daft like powerboat racing or uh, hang gliding, and they get hurt because. Um, so I didn't want that to happen, especially as I lost my dad when I was 15 and I had young children and stuff. So I wanted to make sure I survived that 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 period of time after I stopped racing by not doing anything too stupid. Um, so I took up mountain biking. There are a lot of stupid things to do, though. <laughs> there are lots of stupid things to do. But I, I tried to pick the ones that were fun, but not too dangerous. So stupid, but not too much. <laughs> That's Yeah. Like... Yeah. It's obvious you're not calling me stupid, are you? Of course <laughs> not. Okay. You, I, I only call someone stupid if they straight up did something stupid. So I, I think that I think you've got it on. You've got it perfectly right. That's the, I. You know, I'd like to do fun things. I would call them fun things, but not not stupid things. But I would do them because they gave me some. They fulfilled that need, but they weren't. The, the risk of getting seriously hurt was quite low. So, um, yeah. In doing our research, we came across a very come across across some very interesting headlines about you. Can mm -hmm. you please explain this headline, please? Damon Hill claims blessing from Beatles star George Harrison. Mm -hmm. Hindu monks helped him to win the world title. <laughs> I'm sorry. This well. <laughs> well, the, the, um, so I did know you mentioned uh, famous people in your phone book, and I was going to mention George, but um, he's no longer with us. So he's—I he's, uh, didn't know if you know who he was, but um, but yeah, he was a Beatle, and he was very famous. And but he also was into motor racing, and so he took an interest in my career. And he got—he was very into um, uh, sort of Eastern religions and 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 that kind of thing. So. He believed that, you know, if you put, if people thought positively about things, that they can make a change. And I think he's right. I think it's, you know, if everybody on the planet was thinking about, you know, peace and uh, getting on with each other, then then we wouldn't have these wars and stuff. So, I, you know, I think he's right. Um, and what they did is they they go to another level where they, they meditate and they chant and they... <laughs> bless you maybe that <laughs> but um maybe you're allergic to this bit um but um but they so he got these monks to do some chanting for me and then he sent me the the burnt offerings which they they make the ash and stuff like that and um and he said you know uh I've got these people chanting for you anyway i won the championship so you don't know if it actually did make a difference or not so it wasn't your so, example driving that won it. It was the monks. It was... Well, it was. It needed also. It needed the monks as well. It needed the incredible <laughs> driving and the monks. Just and as it long all helped. As, just as long as no other less friendly forces got involved, <laughs> making bargains yeah. with them is not fun. Not that no, I've, well, I've ever made any. Yeah. Well, it, no, I mean. No, my classmates do occasionally call me a less friendly supernatural. <laughs> You're supernatural as well, are you? 
No. As no, far as I know. <laughs> Although my mum claims she's a witch. <laughs> right, uh, good. Well, we can maybe... maybe my dad may as well be part There are good witches as well as bad witches. You know? mm. It's it's all about, yeah, whether you wish well or wish ill. And I don't think wishing ill is, is helpful. So the monks were wishing me well, and I think that's that's all good. Yeah, my mum's a witch and my dad may as well be pot plant. <laughs> you know what happened in our garden last year? We had one too many plants. He likes his pots plants. Good. He may as well be because he says that's, that's, that his, his family's are natural gardeners and he may have got a little too much of that natural ability. <laughs> what? I don't appear. I did not inherit it. Plants die quickly. <laughs> You got to water them. You just have to remember to water them. I do water them. But maybe I drown them. (laughs) Picture Path is an award-winning visual timeline app that's empowering individuals with autism. This free app provides a simple way for users to plan out activities, such as going to a match or theatre, using structured timelines that reduce stress and anxiety. Users create a visual timeline that caters to their specific daily needs allowing them to prepare for activities, events, and routines. PicturePath provides a structure that enhances communication, promotes independence, improves memory recall, and supports users to manage their day with confidence. Whether for personal use or in educational settings, PicturePath is the ultimate tool for individuals with additional needs, empowering them to manage their schedules, track progress, and enjoy more activities. PicturePath, download the app today. Well, we we have this another little game to play with you. That we that we play that we've played with some other Sky Sports hunting pundits pundits, pundits and presenters pundits. such as Funny word, Na- it, Na- NASA NASA Hussein Michael Atherton Atherton the same guy no no Mike Atherton the mm-hmm. cricketer Rob Kay and Bumble as well as your colleague Simon Lensby and David Croft. Can we play it with you too? You can't. Well, I don't know what the game is yet, but I'll try it. Come okay. On, let's go. I'm up for anything. Uh, I'll explain. We'll, we're going to give you some scenarios, Rios, and you have to name one person from your F1 team your Sky, as the result answer. From your Sky Sports team. Yeah, from your Sky Sports team. Team, We're going to give you some scenarios, and you have to answer yeah. with one person from, from your Sky Sports team. I got it. This will be easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If you say so. <laughs> if you could go on a night out with someone, who would it be and why? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. No, okay. you shouldn't. We love making people eat their own uh, words here. Okay, it would have to be one of them because normally what we do is we all go out together. So that's that's a way of getting around it all. So we all go together and as many people as we can all go, go and have dinner and stuff. So there's always a bit of a mix of people. It wouldn't be one person in particular, because that would be unfair. All right. A scenario. I do hope this never happens, but if it has, mm. uh, okay. You have gotten into a fight. Who do you want to come and help you? I hope this scenario doesn't ring any bells. I sincerely hope. <laughs> I've, I've got into a fight. Well, we've got a Marine who works with us. So I think our, our, our cameraman, I'm not going to mention his name. I'm not going to embarrass him. But... Um, I think if you've got Marine on your, on your side. Yeah, well, as long as there's no... Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think Marine, that might be helpful. Oh, yeah. 
he's a soldier. Yeah, he's a soldier. So as long as he's not the one you're well protected. Fight with. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> Who is the last to the bar to buy a round of drinks? Well, it's 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 used. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably me. But then that's because that's because Sky have got an expense account, and so everyone in the team puts it through there. Mm-hmm. Thingy, and mm-hmm. I, I never bother. So <laughs> David, David would <clears throat> mention someone about having short arms and deep pockets. Short arms and deep pockets, yeah. Well, yeah. Who is the guy's uh, name again? Oh, no, we're not going to do that to, to <laughs> poor old. I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> Crofty did. Yeah, Crofty <laughs> mentioned his name. Yeah, did he? Well, that's very yes. bad of David. David's a very generous man. He would always be the first mm-hmm. to the bar. Last question. This one's probably going to be a bit biased for you. Who would win a Formula One race? Yeah, and you're not racing. And I'm not racing. Basically, <laughs> to avoid biasness. If you were racing, yeah. you'd say you. Well, we've got, we've got, you mean on our team, on the Sky team? Yes. Um, I think, I think Danica Patrick would probably win because okay. she's very, very, she's not very heavy. She's quite light and she's probably quite quick as well. So, <laughs> so you're saying the boys would get their butt kicked by a girl? That's sort of what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, it's a good question. We got a lot of, we got another two world champions on our team. We got uh, Nico and Jensen. They're not like, of course, um, yeah. And don't say that, they'll come and get us. <laughs> um, but um, there's a few people, Martin, of course, and, J- and Anthony Davison as well. Um, the rest of the brothers, and so God, I haven't, I haven't forgotten someone. Um, but anyway, yeah, we're good. Nomi, no, Nomi as well, she 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 races as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Natalie races. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just interrupting you the whole time. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. This next question is based purely on because we're a special school. Yeah. One of your sons has Down syndrome, correct? Yes, he does. Yeah. As pupils who attend a special school, we're just, we just wanted to ask a few questions if that's okay. Because yeah. this is here someone talking about. If you tell us no, that's fine with us. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll just take this the rest of the sheet. No, I'm very happy. Far away. Did you know anything about Down syndrome before your son was born? No, not really. No, no. So, and he was our first child, so we we had to learn a lot. Um, it was a huge learning experience. But the, you know, the thing was, um, he was so sweet when he was born. It was it was just no problem. You know, he was a lovely little boy, and uh, so it was it was great fun with him growing up. How did you find it as parents of a child with Down syndrome? What has he taught you you that you hadn't learned from your other children? I think he's very instinctive. It's incredible. So if he's, you know, it's, it's not someone who can really coach very easily. He likes to do his own thing. Um, and he's very instinctive. You know, if you were to say to Oliver, do you remember when you were a little baby? He'd go, I'm not a baby. You know, he, so he knows he's a, he's a man. He's a grown up. He wants to be independent. He wants his, he wants to be who he is. And I think that's, that's innate in everyone. I just think that with, a lot of people, they, they try and, we were talking about, you know, if you want to be somebody else, who would you be? Well, I think that with Oliver, he doesn't want to be anybody else at all. He wants to be Oliver. You know, it's something very, very, um, you know, what's the word? Uh, <clears throat> it's 
crucial to him you know that's that's so i think we 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 tend to want to kind of we look around and we kind of go oh if i could do that or i could you know he doesn't care about you know he just wants to be oliver and he's oliver to a lot of people because we're we have a community of of other people with learning disabilities that he's got to know and so they know him he knows them and everyone's got their places it's good it works there are some negativity surrounding babies with Downs in syndrome that, that we're calling him a baby because, yeah, he doesn't like that, apparently. Right? No, he doesn't. <laughs> Did you receive any negative reactions about your child diagnosis from from doctors, family, or anyone? No, not, not really. When he was born, there was a little bit of uh, an issue because I felt very much that the hospital where he was born was, was set up in a way to deliver perfect babies and so if a baby comes out with dandruff they, they they tended to um be less prepared for that than if they you know if things ran normally so um apart from that though i think mostly people are quite accepting nowadays a lot of people have learned more about the differences between people and that we we have a place for everyone um in society and there's um, ways to include people, uh, whatever their particular quirks happen to be. Um, so um, it's getting better. Aren't technically all babies the same? They all cry a lot. <laughs> and are yeah, very tiny think, and cute. Yeah, tiny and cute. Yeah, and they're also very mischievous as well, I've noticed. Yeah, <laughs> Tom, yeah you, and your, you and my parents could get talking about about the stuff you, your kids did when they were babies that babies and we and the rest of us would never hear the end of it <laughs> well we like to talk about our children we, we love talking about mm -hmm. the stories um, because they're a lot of fun and yeah. but um they, you know they, they they are creative as well they can be creatively naughty i've noticed yeah tell us about it my pet me and my siblings know a lot about being creative <laughs> Whilst being naughty, we've got to we've got to be very smart to, to keep up <laughs> as parents. My parents cut us <clears throat> instantly. They even cut, they even play a very good. They even are even able to make a very good guess as the culprit. <laughs> they know us. They know us that well. Yeah. There's no out outstop outsmarting our parents. So you've been given um, unlimited money. Mm -hmm. Someone's gone, Damon Hill. Here's billions of pounds to des design mm -hmm. your own racetrack for oh. next year's Grand Prix. Yeah. The track has to be built in a country and a city that's never hosted the F1. Mm. Yeah, good. Which country and city are you choosing? And what sort of track are you going to design? Ooh, well, that's a terrific question. God, okay. Never been in a Wow. Um, what about Hawaii? <laughs> I know it's. A, we've got, it's like, you'd have to build something over the ocean first. Maybe, maybe another uh, tropical island. Um, no, something over the over yeah. the ocean because. it's got land. Hawaii's got land. It's got, yeah, it's got... but most of it's either forest, and you don't go around chopping down forest. <laughs> no. Don't do that. Okay, so we can't go there because it's a beautiful, pristine, uh, natural. Uh, you know. Yeah, that'll just make our Earth even oh, oh. Okay, we'll... Oh, okay, then. Another country. Uh, Antarctica. There you go, that's yeah, a country. No, 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 you can't there. there's no trees, but it's also too cold. Um, 
just buy a lot of heating. Or I'm very, very what about Chile? What about Chile? Santiago? We never go that side. We always go to South America. We've been to Argentina and Brazil. We've never been to Santiago. Never been to, that's supposed to be a beautiful city. Not been there. So what about then? Um, obviously, we'll see this topic. What about Africa? Because there's no at the moment there's no Grand Prix in Africa. I know there has been yeah. in South Africa in the past. Would you like to see the Grand Prix return to Africa one day? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, maybe you should go to Nigeria. They've they've got quite a thriving economy at the moment. But um, um yeah, um, and South Africa was on uh, on the list to have one, but it, it keeps stalling. I don't know what's happening there. But we did go. My first Formula One race with Williams was at um, in Kyle Army, which is near Johannesburg. But I haven't been back since. Um, so yeah, South Africa could be a good one. Cape Town, lovely, lovely. Everyone says Cape Town's beautiful. I think I know why it keeps getting Scott stalled. One word, money. Well, money is in the yeah, end. They, yeah, they do command a massive fee to have a race now. So, yeah, um, that will be a problem, perhaps. So this year, Red Bull look like they're already going to probably win. Max Verstappen, obviously things could happen. It's looking likely Max Verstappen's probably going to win this year. Yep. What do teams need to do to close the gap on Red Bull? Um, they need to know what Red Bull are doing. <laughs> so what are they doing? <laughs> well, that's the closely guarded secret. Um, but they're, whatever they're doing, is they've done it right and they've done it better than anybody else. And so they deserve all the success they're getting. Um, but um, we like to see races. You know, we want to see close competition. So this is the, the trick with our sport is that we've got to have different manufacturers producing different cars but have, that have only got the same performance you know we don't want um and what the other good thing about us boys we don't although the tracks are there are similarities between them they're all different so a car that works well on some circuits won't necessarily work well on another so even if you've got cars that are close in performance then you'll have some circuits which favor one team more than another so we get you know, you can get this ebbing and flowing of, of competition because of the nature of the circuits being so different. They're not uniform. And the less uniform they are, the better. So, um, but this year, we, we, we're going to need a big swing in performance. And the guys that are behind it are going to have to work really hard to catch up with Red Bull before the end of the season. But, you know, you could see at the end of the season, you could see some closer racing because I think Red Bull will probably switch development to their following Years car. So I enjoy F1. I watch it most weekends. I'm not a, a huge F1 buff. I don't know that much about it. So to me, as a fan, all the cars look the same. Drivers are all equally as good. What makes that hundreds of seconds, that thousands of seconds difference between a, a brilliant Red Bull and a Ferrari or a, a car that's not performing as well as it should, should be? Ferrari should so, be on roads, not on tracks. So is that again, sorry, Elise? What's that? Personally, I think Ferrari should be on roads, not tracks. <laughs> Why? Yeah, Ferrari. Well, thinking... they make a road car, so you can buy that car, but you can't buy the race car, the Formula One car. So they've always had the, the two. Yeah, they've had road cars you can buy, and then they've had. But um, the thing that makes the difference, there's certain things that make absolutely quantifiable difference, very simply, and that's more horsepower and more downforce um, and weight. So the lighter you can make things, the better. But the weight 
there's a limit on that so that that's that's capped they can't get any the car any lighter than than the laws the rules allow unless you make a feather a feather the driver a feather, a feather a driver well the position of the weight makes a difference so you don't want the weight to be right on the outside of everything you need to get the weight as close as possible to the center of gravity or wherever you want the weight to be um so that will make a difference and the other thing is the horsepower they're sort of standardizing the the engine so the, the way that they deliver horsepower can be tampered with a little bit but they're not going to find big gains in in, in horsepower and the, the other thing was the aerodynamics so the aerodynamics is the, is the big untapped thing there's no there's no limit on the amount of downforce they can generate or drag um uh you know um downforce to drag ratio which is so it's, you can get downforce, but it might make the car very slow in a straight line. So they're, they're always playing off these little things. But they they are looking literally for hundredths of a second now. And they have to find a lot of them to make a difference. So 10 hundredths of a second, you've got a tenth of a second. You know, it's like, you know, it's, um, that's my math isn't very good. So <laughs> hundred, a hundred and you've got a second, you know, but that's a lot of work yeah. in the wind tunnel. So it's it's really fine tuning now. That's where they're at. As we said before, two days ago we spoke to David Croft, and mm -hmm. he asked us to ask you about the time you once dived into a swimming pool in a bar, Bahrain, Bahrain, after getting back late from a party with the crowd. I wasn't. What? I'm just kidding. This is a made-up story. That, see how you do that. Doesn't sound right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Unless I you were that yeah, drunk. No. <laughs> and so what happened? Jumped I don't know. Pool. That's Ever, what it says. Yeah, it was very hot. It was, it was very hot, and there was everyone was in the swimming pool. So, and you could swim at late at night. So, nothing, nothing naughty happened. Don't worry. Just literally cooling off in the pool. Anything well, like if you that. were really hot, if you had spent the whole day at the racetrack or something, and you know, and you were really hot, and you saw a swimming pool, it's quite nice to jump in and cool off. Can we yeah. play one more quick fire game with you, please? Yeah. Okay. Come on. First back. question is basically this is basically a would you rather beach yeah. holiday or city break? A beach holiday or a ski break? City break. City break. Oh. Beach. Pardon my accent. Beach, beach. I thought, I thought you said a tea break. <laughs> tea? tea uh, break. Oh, so a beach, a beach holiday. Okay. Yes, please. Night in or night out? Uh, I, I'm getting more night in, I think. <laughs> okay. Win the right. Win the Ryder Cup or headline Glastonbury? Oh, that's a good one. I think my ego wants to headline Glastonbury. <laughs> okay. <laughs> radio or TV? I, do you know something? I think I I think I'm more comfortable with radio than I am with television. I I, I feel very self conscious when I'm when I got a camera on me. So okay. um, yeah. Beer or wine? Uh, it's beer. I, I you know beer is a thirst quenching drink. Wine is 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 delicious, but always gives me a headache. So beer. <laughs> Okay. Talk to animals or speak every language. 
Oh, wow. That's a great question. Where are you getting these questions from? I don't know. Ask this guy. <laughs> I mean, I think ultimately, I think I'm not sure the animal conversation would be that interesting. So I think being able to speak lots of different languages, I think it has to be that. Uh, I mean, I, I love my animals, but I, I think I understand what they're saying anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Phone call or text? Uh, text or message, WhatsApp or whatever. I much prefer to just send a little message. I, I hate <laughs> the conversation on the phone. I don't know My why. dad gets nervous with phone conversations as well. Yeah. Explore space or the bottom of the ocean? Oh, space. No, thanks. Not going to the bottom of the ocean. Don't like, <laughs> don't like the sound of that at all. Either one deprives you of oxygen. <laughs> yeah, it does. What's the it, difference? Well, one's dark and there's absolutely nothing. I mean, it's just masses of pressure and weird fishes down the bottom. <laughs> and the other one, the other one is like, you've got the whole of the universe. There. They're both dark, though. The sky is black. No, there's lots of light. You see, that's the thing. In, in the universe, there's, there's stars everywhere. So there's, it's all about light. I know there's a lot of darkness in between. But... You, need more, you, need to re, you need to listen to more documentaries about the sea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Would you rather go back and meet your ancestors, ancestors, or go forward and meet meet your great 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 grandchildren? That's a lot. These are fantastic questions. Oh my god! I don't think that's possible to answer that one. I mean, if I go forward, I might have to apologise to everyone. (laughs) I think (laughs) I go backwards. I can at least say, "Don't worry, it turned out okay." So backwards. Okay. Last one, my personal favorite. Would you rather fight one chicken the size of an elephant or 10 elephants the size of chickens? <laughs> 10 elephants the size of chickens. And I don't want to fight them either, but I think I could cope with, yeah. I don't like the sound of an elephant the size of a chicken at all. Uh, no. Uh, you mean a chicken the size of an elephant? That's what I mean. What did I say? Yeah. Yeah, from Sachi. In your book, you write about how you went through some depression after retiring. Can you talk to us about that, please? And do you think it was was all the changes and grief in your life that you hadn't dealt with? Mm, yeah. So I, I do think there was an element of that. I think there was a point where you uh, get in your life and you want to know what's next, where you're going. And if you don't have an answer to that, it can be quite, um, it can be quite scary. So you 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 need to know what you're here to do. You need to have some idea as to what your purpose is. And if you don't feel you have one, then it can get you can get depressed. So you you know trying to find some sense. I think it's a it it comes at a time when things are changing, and I think it's it's a process that sometimes we have to go through to come out the other side. So, and, but in that process, we discover what it is that's making us um, feel that way. And so it's not, you know, it's not, I think it's a necessary thing in some ways, because if you're going, if you're going, sometimes you could be going some way, a direction in your life and it's making you unhappy. And so you have to sometimes stop and go, this is not working. This direction is not working. I need to backtrack a bit and find out 
which path I took, which was wrong, and 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 find the right path, and come out and start again from there. So it's a bit, it's a bit like going back a bit, isn't it? It's a bit like rewinding and going, well, we went wrong somewhere. Where did we go wrong? What does the next ten years look like for you? Ah, gosh. Well, I'm sixty-two. I'll be sixty-three at the end of this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting towards seventy. So ten years, I'll be seventy-two. Um, hopefully, I'm still fit. Um, I can still. I want to be able to do things, active things. I want to be active and fit. I like using my body for things, whether it's walking, skiing, cycling, or whatever it is. Surfing, skiing. yeah, skiing. Yeah. I recommend maybe not when you're seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I won't do it. <laughs> surfing, right? Hmm? I'll do a deal. Surfing. Can I surf? Only if you're you're only if you have someone watching you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know I'm, your, I'm not your mother, but I'd rather you not get a call from your mother because you did something stupid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> good advice. Every week on the Pack Podcast, we ask our guests to ask question ask questions to each other. So we get a, a get get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. Mm-hmm. This week's question comes from our previous guest, who was, who is the voice of Formula One, David Croft. Mm-hmm. You know the guy who asked about the swing pool incident. I remember, yeah, I remember him. He gets everywhere. And he asked, "What has it been? What has been the best piece of negative feedback that have you you have used to inspire you in your career?" That's a very intelligent question for, for David. I don't know. <laughs> so he gets he gets a lot of negative feedback. That's why he asked that question. <laughs> um, anyway, um, no, he can, it can it can be tough because in your when you're commentating a race, people people always like to get cross with you. And so, anyway, um, so the best bit of negative feedback, I think, if someone says to me, "I can't do something." Or you'll never do this. I think that's a, a massive spur to me to prove them wrong. And maybe that's stupid. I don't know. But, you know, when someone says, oh, you're, I mean, as they did, you're too old to be, you know, to be a Formula One driver or you're, you know, you're not fast enough or, you know, anything like that. I just go, okay, we'll see. So that's my negative feedback that is actually positive. Can you do the same, please? Can you think of a question to ask our next guest? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question is going to be anything you want. Okay. I would like to know whether any of your guests that come on feel, whoever the question it goes to, is, do they feel they have a special, unique quality that has made them successful? And if so, what is it? Okay. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Damon? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry. You've had the whole podcast at this I really have to say his name twice. <laughs> it's a funny name. It's a funny name. It can be Damien, Damon, which one is it? It is Damon, as my mum would say, Damon. D- 
Damon. Damon. Yeah. We really like. We really. I don't. I don't know because I don't say my name. Everyone else says it, so I don't know how you pronounce it. We really enjoyed Keith speaking with you, and it means so much as as a pod as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for your questions. They've been brilliant, and I've really enjoyed coming on your podcast. And congratulations on having a successful podcast. It's it's really good and. You've been wonderful. Thank you. So the TWS Sports Podcast have a brand new website. We have spent a lot of time over the last few weeks and months in developing this website, getting it to look how we want it to look and launching the website. So what I want you to do is please go and visit the website, www.twssportspodcast.co.uk and just check it out. There you can listen to all of our episodes from episode one right up to our latest episode. Also, all of our videos that we post are on there. So you can check out the little clips. There's some whole episodes on there. There's loads of stuff on there. You can also leave us reviews. And our students love reading your reviews. So every time we do a recording, we'll always check if we've had any reviews. And if we have, we'll read them together. The students always like to look about where the the reviewers come from, what part of the world, what they've said, find out what their favourite part of the podcast is or their favourite guests. So it's really, really interesting to hear your review. So please go and leave us a review. Again, visit our website. There's a bit at the top which says review and you can leave your review there. It's really easy to do. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter on our website. So please subscribe to that. And also the best feature which we're really excited about is voice notes. So if again, if you go on our website, there's a, there should be a purple microphone Somewhere on the screen, I think it's on the right-hand side somewhere, on our homepage. And if you click that, then it takes you to a, a page where you can leave voice notes. So you can send us a voice message. Maybe you've got a question for the guest, a question for the host, a question for me. Maybe you just want to share a story about a time where you went to watch a sporting match. Um, a funny story where you met a sports person. A funny time travelling to a sporting event. Anything to do with sport or autism. Maybe you've got a question about autism or you want to know more about autism, then please ask the question. We will put them in our podcast and we will answer them for you. Alyssa and Jacob and the rest of the students who host the podcast really enjoy listening to the questions. So please send them in. We've had a few and we'd love to get some more from you. So please, please visit our website and leave us a voice note. And I just want to take this time as well to personally thank each and every one of our listeners for all their support for the podcast. Lots of you have been following from day one and we really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And we're very close to our 100th episode as well. So on Tuesday the 12th of December will be our 100th episode. And if you asked me two years ago, would we reach 100 episodes? I would have said no, absolutely no way. But to see this podcast grow and grow and see our students grow and grow has just been amazing. So it's been nearly three years, very close to 100 episodes. And that 100th episode is going to be amazing. I don't want to give too much away, but I will over the next maybe month. But we've got lots of amazing things lined up for that episode. So it's going to be an amazing one. So again, thank you so much for continuing this journey with us. Please visit our website, www.twssportspodcast.co.uk. Leave us a review. Leave us a voice note. Please do it. It takes a minute. And again, our students really, really appreciate it. Thank you. See you later. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, 
what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.